Take two, recording, Micka and Sam. So you, my friend, are a vegetarian, right? A carbitarian. A, a, a carbivore, I think we decided. A carbivore. Explain. I am technically a vegetarian, but I eat mostly carbohydrates. I eat potatoes and breads and, you know, occasionally vegetables also. Yay. Okay. So what I have to tell you about today is all about plants. My topic starts with reading Bill Gates' book, How to Avoid a Climate Disaster. Have you heard of it? Have you read it? I have heard of it. I have not read it. Okay. So I just started and I made it all the way to chapter one, page two, before I hit my first question. Um, so that was encouraging. Basically, he says, there are no realistic paths to zero that involve abandoning these fuels completely, these fuels being fossil fuels, mm -hmm. or stopping all the other activities that also produce greenhouse gases, like making cement, using fertilizers, or letting methane leak out of natural gas power plants. Cement, I actually know about. You read my article that I wrote about it, and we may talk about that at a future date. But the fertilizers is the one that got me because mm -hmm. uh, as I teased in last week's episode, which if you haven't listened to it, I mean, stop now, go back. It's hard hitting stuff, but m I must read with ears. Ooh, I feel like that should be the title of this podcast. Anyway, <laughs> I tease that your wife is the one who got me basically down the gardening path. When I see that fertilizers are bad for the environment, I must immediately know why, even though I did have sort of an idea I didn't know fully the idea. So I did a little Googling and I learned a few things. I'm going to tell you about it. I found this awesome article for kids. <laughs> um, it's called Frontiers for Young Minds. <laughs> did it have pictures? It did have pictures. It had graphics uh, that explained um, what was going on in, in the things. Um, it was very advanced, though, I must say, for, for kids. Like, I mean, just the, the words used. So I'm, I'm questioning. I feel like these are young adult kids. These are not mm -hmm. children. Uh, back to the frontiers for young minds. So basically, the reason why fertilizers are bad for the environment, first, you have to understand fertilize what fertilizers there are there's mineral organic and industrial guess which one's bad for the environment it's probably that last one huh yeah yeah, yeah. the industrial one um yeah. There was, there was a little clue there. Little hint. So it's also the most widely used one today, though it's the newest, of course, in the farming agricultural process. So the reason why fertilizers are used is because nitrogen. We all need nitrogen, right? This is what we use to grow. We humans get it from the things we eat. High protein foods, they got a lot of nitrogen in them and we need that. Uh, so we need the plants to give us the nitrogen. And there's two different ways that plants get nitrogen. One, I didn't know this. This is fabulous. This was brand new information for me. Lightning. Did you know this? No, that is brand new information for me also. So nitrogen is a gas in the, in the air. We can't absorb it. Plants can. But lightning will split the nitrogen gas to create compounds that literally then rain down to the ground that the plants then absorb. Way to go, lightning. Right? Everything has its purpose. Lightning is the rock star of this show. Then you have biological nitrogen fixation. Okay, so that's a fancy way of saying microorganisms. These are the guys that convert nitrogen gas directly into nutrients. Nutrients. That's not nutrients. the word. <laughs> 
Nutrients is the word. There we go. It's a word now. It's also the name of this new podcast. Basically, these are called nitrogen fixers. So that's going to, we're going to talk more about that in a minute. These nitrogen fixers are responsible for getting bacteria to basically pull the nitrogen into the soil to create nutrients for the plants. If I'm saying that wrong, don't correct me. I'm going to believe that's the truth. It sounds, it sounds right. All right. So that brings me to the second book that I'm reading on this topic. I got very excited. I was like, I'm reading a whole nother book on this exact topic. Okay. So the second book is called Dirt to Soil and it's by a guy named Gabe Brown. And he basically tells the story of his family's uh, journey into regenerative agriculture. Have you heard of regenerative agriculture, Micka? I have not. You're learning so much today. It's great. Gabe uh, actually went to school, college to become a farmer like that's that's what he went to to learn to do but he quickly learned that everything he was taught is got some problems because it all follows the I want to say traditional, but it's not traditional. The modern uh, ways of agriculture, which is all based on tilling. I don't know if you've heard about this, but tilling is no good. This is this is a thing where you basically uh, chop up the soil to uh, get it ready to plant. Well, that destroys the soil, uh, destroys the soil integrity, destroys all those uh, awesome bacteria I was just talking about that fix nitrogen into the soil. It kills all that it just turns it to dirt hence the name of the book dirt to soil so in he inherited this land and the land was over fertilized over tilled dirt it was just dirt there was nothing living in it so trying to make uh something grow there that's a, that's a problem because basically the tilling destroys the soil structure, which means you need synthetic fertilizers, those industrial fertilizers mentioned before. Mm -hmm. So you need that to be able to make anything grow. That then further damages your soil, causes even more problems. And then all that damage then runs off into the waterways, which causes problems for the waterways. That's not really a good way to go. And year after year, farmers uh, are experiencing more and more problems with these basically dead plots of dirt that they're having to continually buy products to make even somewhat hospitable to grow. And then it's, it sounds like once once you've committed to this this farming lifestyle, next year you just have to do it again because your soil is no longer soil, it's dirt now, right? Exactly. So you just kind of get locked into this purchase to pay to play kind of lifestyle and, uh, and it just wreaks havoc on the environment. And it also creates dun-da-da-dun greenhouse gases. I feel like we should make that a stinger. There should be a record scratch and that kind of stuff going on. Yeah, because that's what it all boils down to, Mixters, uh, as far as climate change is concerned, is greenhouse gas. And Mm -hmm. the more of that that gets created, the bigger problems we have. Farming, you and all your plant-based needs are killing the environment. It's all you. I'm the bad guy now? When did this happen? Uh, It always has been there. Oh. Yeah. So what's the solution here? Gabe found that the only way to get out of the cycle is to go back to the way that farming had been done for thousands of years before industry and everything was working fine. Then we had to go and mess with it and put chemicals in it and turn it into something that you put into a bag and sell at a store. He learned that regenerative farming is the way to go and regenerative farming is actually 
bit of a buzzword right now because people are really uh, finding value in it. I think they said something like um, 30% of uh, farmers currently in the United States are practicing regenerative farming. So it's becoming increasingly popular because people are seeing it as um, more productive. They're getting more value from it. The soil is returning to be soil and not just dead dirt. Basically, it requires an, an entirely different way of thinking about farming. My final da-da-da-da, the more you know, is to check out the documentary called The Biggest Little Farm. You definitely want to watch this. I think this is great. Have you watched this already? I, I have not. Where is it on the, the YouTubes or the Netflixes or, 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 or where is it? It's on the Amazons. It's on the Amazons. Okay. It's on the Amazons. It's called The Biggest Little Farm. And it is a, uh, the, the husband is a nature photographer. He and his wife uh, decided to get out of the city life rat race. They bought a farm. The farm was basically dead. Uh, It was dirt. It was just overproduced land that was turned to nothingness. They brought it back from the dead and turned it into this awesome oasis. Uh, It follows the eight-year journey to do that. And it's incredible and it's very inspiring. And I want a farm now because I'm easily influenced. That's my my hope and dream. And that's my pitch for today is uh, learn more about why fertilizers suck and, um, or, oh, let me, let me change that industrial fertilizers. But uh, yeah, it's been a pretty interesting learning curve and it's tied in a bunch of things that I knew but didn't really fully understand. Now I have a better understanding of why fertilizers are causing us such problems. So that's my lesson for today. All those industrial fertilizers, of course, are usually energy intensive themselves to create. And and there's a quote that that I read many years ago. I I don't remember who, who said it, but it was from the 50s or 60s and it was like some big shot like department of agriculture agriculture kind of a guy and he said more, modern agriculture isn't about growing plants anymore it's just about converting petroleum to food mm, that's that's about it yeah mm-hmm. you put all that energy to, to grow the food at all times of the year and all places of the country and then you put it on trucks and you drive it across the country and process it and then drive it to the other side of the country where, where you sell it like every every little step along the way you've got some kind of petroleum or or other energy intensive kind of aspect to it just like the energy intensive lawnmower that is riding back and forth outside of my window right now lawns man they're worthless yeah we should we should talk about lawns we definitely are going to talk about lawns but not today not today today. now i want to hear all about what you want to talk about my thing sounds kind of scary to begin with i'm talking about energy slaves unfortunate word it's a product of its time of its time it's from the 40s and 50s there was a, a famous guy by the name of Buckminster Fuller, awesome name, by the way. Many of you have perhaps heard of, he was an architect, inventor, futurist, designer, you know, that kind of stuff. He, he observed that the people generally, they, they don't understand how much energy they use in their day-to-day life. So Samantha, I can ask you real quick, do you know how much energy your house uses to usually measure in kilowatt hours? Do, do you have any idea? Not a clue, but I know it's probably pretty high because I have a techophile in the other room who loves gadgets that plug into walls. All right. So the internet tells me the average American household uses 877 kilowatt hours per month. So the obvious question is, 
Is that a lot? Like what's what, what, what kind of range are we talking about? Mr. Fuller's concept of the energy slave is to convert any kind of energy amount, any kind of work amount into the amount of humans it would take to do to, to create that energy. When he uh, came up with his concept in the 1940s and the 1950s, he did the math to figure out how much energy does all of the, does all of the United States use, how many people live here and all that kind of stuff. And back then, think about how, how much less energy they probably used in the 40s and 50s. He calculated that on average, each person in America had 38 energy slaves or the equivalent of 38 people working full time to meet that person's energy needs. Wow. Since the 1940s and 50s, we obviously use uh, uh, a lot more. And while my five minute Google search didn't come up with an exact figure, the, the, the best estimates that I found was that we used 10 times as much as we did in the 40s or 50s. Your average human nowadays requires somewhere in the area of 400 full-time human beings working to create the amount of energy that they use. Yikes. Right. The, as a, as a, just as, just as, a, as a kind of a concept, obviously it's better that a human being is not doing this. That's, that's like pretty clear, but just as, the, as, as, a, as a measure of the amount of work that is being done on our behalf and primarily being done by greenhouse gas emitting carbon intensive methods, you start to like, you, you can really picture how much of, how much that work is. And the other way to think about it too, is that if you, if, imagine if you went back two, 300 years and you told someone, I have 40 people working just to, just to create energy for me. They'd look at you and think, A, either you're insane or B, they'd say, wow, you must be a king. So in the 40s and 50s, every human being in America was literally in some interpretation of that word, living like a king Mm. based on the amount of energy that they use. Wow. What's wrong with cities well, there's a, there's a bunch of things that contribute to, to something being quote unquote wrong with a specific city or a specific part of a city. But one of the, 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 the biggest things that's wrong with cities is that the energy that we use is so inexpensive. It mm. makes it really easy for anybody to live 20, 30 miles outside of the city where the land is cheaper and the commute in and out of the city all the time putting the greenhouse gas gas into the air and taking up all that valuable real estate at 9 a.m. in the morning and then 5 p.m. in the evening, everyone cramming into that same little bit of rude real estate, making life suck for all those people who actually live in the city. <laughs> That's uh, basically the, the world that I live in right now is an abandoned city, is a city that got left behind by all those people who, like you just described, decided that a 30-minute commute in the morning was better than you know, having a neighbor, the guy who's mowing next door, who you're getting to, to hear all this wonderful noise from does not live here. So uh, the guy who is mowing the lawn next door actually lives out in one of those areas you described. He mm-hmm. comes about once every two months, uh, once the weeds get high enough to come and uh, mow the grass. That's all he does. And pick up the loose roofing tiles that have blown off that week. Um, because the house is about a week away from falling down. He does that because as long as he keeps the grass mowed enough, he doesn't actually have to maintain his property. He can just kind of leave it sitting there. I don't know what his plan is, but uh, he is not going to be doing anything anytime soon with it. So yeah, all this for grass, all this energy for grass and to keep an abandoned home basically 
standing. Right. In an area where otherwise would be a, a nice, wonderful, pleasant neighborhood that you could live in and know your neighbors and walk to the store and all that kind of stuff. And it's just yeah. re- rendered unusable at the moment. Yeah. The pandemic, I believe, has really opened some eyes. I think it's definitely changed people's perceptions on that commute we're talking right. about because right. I think a lot of people started not having an hour commute to their day and they realized that hmm, maybe there are better ways of spending my day than sitting in a car all, all morning or having to wake up an extra hour earlier just so I can get in a car and be frustrated by the time I get to work, which goes into what we talked about again in the first episode. Please go check it out. Must read with ears. <laughs> But it's true. The commute is is the thing that has really, really made it possible for us to destroy new and greater territories. We have become remarkably efficient at that. <laughs> you know, when you were talking earlier and you were saying about the population, I had one note on that from my uh, frontier kids. Mm-hmm. frontiers for young minds, not frontier kids. But uh, one of the things that they mentioned in that article was the population boom. They're crediting industrial fertilizers with being one of the main reasons why the earth's population has grown so quickly in the last 60 to 70 years, because now all of a sudden we have enough food for everyone because we're able to kind of manufacture it in, in much bigger quantities. Before the widespread use of industrial fertilizers in the 1960s, it took 123 years for the Earth's population to double from 1 to 2 billion. Mm -hmm. However, it only took 45 years from 1974 to 2019 for the Earth's population to double from 4 to 8 billion. That's a lot of billions. That's a lot of people. So I think you and I are doing the best thing for the environment we can do. Do you know what that is? What's that? No babies. (laughs) No more humans. (laughs) less humans equals less emissions which equals less of a problem so that's great but it also means when we get older where's the workforce that's gonna do all this work that we've now created because we've destroyed everything correct and and there's probably a a, a, maybe not a third one but like a a two and a half one there where i kind of imagine the, the kind of people who are opting not to have children because of environmental or you know ethical reasons those people are probably would be the ones who would have the best kids right the ones who would most be aware of that kind of stuff you know that is very true my friend but i'm hopeful looking at this uh frontiers for kids website because this is some pretty deep stuff that they're showing the kids i'm encouraged though because i think that kids these days are definitely getting a more holistic education i think that they're definitely the the days of math, science, English being separate courses that focus on very specific things. I think those days are kind of going by the wayside and there's definitely a lot more, a lot more elements that are going into education these days, or at least that's what I'm seeing. I don't know. I don't have any kids, so I have nothing to base this opinion on other than I think that's what's happening. And, and the other thing that I'm saying, and this might just be the fact that I'm, I'm getting older, is that the majority of the good stuff that's 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 going on right now, in environment and social justice and that kind of stuff, that's being fueled by, you know, barely high school 
school aged kids at the moment. Yeah, totally. They're definitely fueling this uh, environmental movement, this climate change movement. And I feel like it's really taken off over the last five years that we've Mm -hmm. really started to see some, some action because it's not like we haven't been talking about the environment. Oh gosh, my entire life. I mean, I feel like I've been hearing about things my entire life, but at the same time, I'm hearing things that are um, different than what I was taught. So another week, we're just teasing a whole bunch of things we're going to talk about in the future, but another week, um, recycling, you know, how recycling programs. Now we thought that was a good thing we were doing, but come to find out, not so much. Recycling, and yeah, minus spoiler for that that episode, but recycling is a wonderful last resort. Yeah. Right. The only true way to use less energy, as you brought up, is to use less energy. Right. Yeah. If one wanted to calculate their energy usage, Um, is there a calculator out there? No, we... (laughs) So, so it's, it's it can be it can be pretty complicated to calculate your your own energy usage. You think about you know you get your your electricity bill and that's pretty easy easy. You know how many gallons you put in your car that's pretty easy. But then how much went into your food? How much went into manufacturing your car? All that kind of stuff is pretty hard to to calculate. Probably the 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 the, the last thing that that I'll leave on this part is this number three kilowatt hours. Okay. That that's the the amount of energy that Buckminster Fuller's, you know, average human being can create in a 40 hour work week. When you do do your math, when you look at your energy bill and you figure out this is this is how much we, we, we used in the last month, you divide that by three, that, that number of kilowatt hours by three, and that's how many people it took to, to create that energy for you. Ooh, okay. I'm going to have to find my energy bill because I definitely, I don't know if I get one of those anymore, actually. I think I went paperless. Auto pay, baby. Auto pay. <laughs> Just don't look at it. Don't think about it. Just consume. Just consume. Hey, uh, can can I? You just mentioned your 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 bill just comes in auto pay, and it, you just pay it, and, and you don't think about it. We have my family has a, a cabin kind of in the woods where my grandfather used to live, and someone someone in our family had apparently been there and, and had left you know the heater on or something like that. We got a message from the, our uh, electricity provider that said, "Hey, your your cabin power is using a lot more than it has been this week because over here those." Those are not occupied, you know, during the, the colder month. So th- there was a proactive message to us that said, hey, someone might have left that that heater on. You better go check that out. So it's a completely different mindset in, in, in certain parts of the world on, on how you use, consume that electricity. Yeah. And I think that's definitely areas I want to dive into are those mindsets, because even here in the United States, uh, whew, Louisiana uh, has a completely different mindset than uh, other parts of the country for sure. And I don't want to turn that into a a left-right thing because honestly, the political divide on climate issues is a recent development over the last 10 years or so. And it's amazing how it's become so politicized. This is not a liberal versus conservative um, issue. And actually the fiscal ramifications for those who are on the conservative mindset 
of climate change is great and recognized. So that's why it's always been a, a nonpartisan issue because this is the world. I mean, it affects literally all of us. You can't have half of a population um, deciding that it's uh, not going to do anything about it because it takes the entire population and it's the world we're all living on. Again, another name for this podcast, possibly the world we're living on. Uh, we just got a lot of possible names here. Eventually we'll have to settle on one. No spoilers for those of you who are listening to this in the future and know what the name of the podcast is. So, um, but uh, you can watch the evolution of how we actually came to a name. That's it. That's all I got. Good job, Samantha. Hey, thanks. I appreciate that. You did well as well. Excellent. Hey, we should do this again. We should. Let's do it again next week. All right. Okay. Well, uh, go go enjoy being Finnish. I, I'm almost done. <laughs> Put them to. Oh, God, that shouldn't have been that funny. <laughs> okay. Talk to you later, my friend. Bye-bye. Bye. We can edit all this out in post, by the way.